Welcome back. It's week five of your Lenten journey, your one-to-one podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wells. And we're here with the priest on the mission, Father Dan Leary. Father Dan, how you been? Hey, great. Great to be back with you, folks. God bless you, Kevin. I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. Father Dan, we're running hot up here in America. Actually, I guess throughout the world, the documentary finally ran on Monday and Tuesday. Do you have, have you gotten a chance to, to view it? Dude, it's great. I love it. The sisters saw it, the children saw it. You could hear the oohs and ahs and some of the, the silence of the of certain aspects. Even though the girls didn't understand all the words in English, they saw the photos. And there are a few moments when they go, oh, a collective 3,500, oh, for Father Al. Beautiful, beautiful. Father, did you go, oh, or was that just the girls? Uh, just the girls. I, I got to tell you, I was deeply moved just by his priesthood. That is just so, so powerful. You know, when, when the Sullivan said we, we closed the door and we just met a saint, I thought, man, that is so incredible to have a saint sitting at your kitchen table, hammering down a hamburger and just talking about life. So, yeah, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I want to go right into right into it. So a lot of phone calls have come into the office, a lot of emails, a lot of response. I mean, really, a lot of response from all over the country uh, for people that have viewed it. And the thing that struck me was a lot of people did not know who he was. And EWTN really did a, an exceptional job. And, and Father, I just want to throw it in there. Uh, they're going to show the documentary tonight. They might be saints on Venerable Aloysius Schwartz tonight at five o'clock. Check your lo- local listings. Five o'clock Eastern time on EWTN. So five o'clock tonight uh, for the third time this week. So anyway, Father, the, the things that jumped out at me, I, I'm just going to share them with you and, and let me know if they jumped out at you as well. But early on, they, they were able to capture the fact that he grew up in the Great Depression and he knew poverty. And because he knew poverty, he understood that it fell at the time that God's face in a certain sense turned away. But still, he knew that if he prayed to God, that God was listening. And I think that 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 poverty sort of led him to a to an amplified faith life, and it led sort of uh, his walk to be wanting to become a priest. Well, there's no denying that the the grace of the Holy Spirit was with Father Al throughout his entire life, and he tasted the the cross as a young boy, so to speak, through his poverty. And at the same time, he was inspired, on the other hand, with reading the, the, the magazines, you know, the, the boy commando. So he had this experience in his heart where there was this interior suffering, but the commandos would go out and fix, address, and help. And I think those two experiences came to fulfillment in his priesthood in a very powerful way, the taste for poverty and in the reality of alleviating the poverty. You know, Father, I was thinking in that documentary so Father Al, at the age of eight years old, he wanted to be a superhero. He wanted to be a boy commando and sort of travel throughout the world and, and save uh, the brokenhearted, save those that were being attacked. And, and in the documentary, it, at the very end, it talked about the boy who fell six stories outside the window. And he said, right before I hit the ground, I felt a white man hold me and lit and put me gently on the ground. He became the superhero of his childhood dream. I don't know if you, if you caught that. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. And it's a, it's a, just a beautiful example. I think that the message that struck me most was when sister Margie said, yeah, all of these graduates are the living miracle. 
of the work of Father Al, because really without the program, without Father Al's sacrifice, many of these kids would be caught up in a life. I, I, I recognize it now. I'm in the trench with the boys and girls now in these countries. And I see that five years in Girlstown really saved the girls from a lot of pain in formative, formative years and boys in formative years. So even that is sort of a quasi miracle of, you know, five years of safety and being fed and protected. Yeah, as simple as this, thousands of children over the years would be dead if not for Father Al and the Sisters of Mary. Or in just- another life, in another life, Kevin, that would probably have led them down the path of, of great suffering. Certainly, certainly. So uh, I agree with you, Father. They are, they are living miracles. Uh, one other thing that I want to touch on before we get into the theme of, 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 of this week's podcast is Mary, the Virgin of the Poor, our Blessed Lady. Father was sort of, and, and Father, you remember this, in 50, what was it? Uh, 60, no, 58, 58, he was suffering, bedridden for a year and uh, couldn't do anything. His bishop was upset with him. The priests were wondering what, what he was doing, what was going on. And he couldn't get out of bed. He was dragging on one cylinder. He had hepatitis A, just miserable. And all he wanted to do was be a priest. And, and Father, he wrote this prayer. I'm just going to read a little bit of it from his hospital bed. And it just sort of it, it articulates his, his devotion and great love for Mary. He says, um, this is on a hospital bed all alone in Japan. He's got nothing. And he says, to the version of the poor, for a long time now, I've entrusted to you all that I am and all that I have. You have taken all. I have nothing. I am poor. My health you have taken, my good name you have taken. I am now counted among the disobedient or psychotics or fools. I do not exaggerate. My country, Korea, you have torn from me. My mission vocation seems to be lost. My friends, for the most part, leave me to my own devices. Materially, I have nothing. Virgin of the poor, I thank you. I wanted poverty and it embraces me fiercely. I'm a beggar and I'm alone. I am so weary, but I risk all for you. Oh, virgin of the poor, have mercy on me. Look at my tears, mercy. What, what do you say to that? Well, he was a newly ordained priest when he wrote that. So that shows more than anything else, the depth of his encounter with Our Lady. Um, that's something that should be available maybe on the website at some point because he was a he was a rookie priest. He was a newbie. It's powerful. It's an identification as a beggar and a priest. And he'll unite those two very beautifully in his priesthood. Yeah. So, Father, I was thinking about Father Al Schwartz. And as you know, we've discussed this in the past. He was drawn to the Carmelites, John of the Cross, Teresa of Sioux. Uh, Avalai was drawn to St. Anthony of the Desert, drawn to John Vianney. He, he was drawn to the mystics. What is it about his, his prayer life where he was so intensely drawn to those saints who, who prayed so intensely? Well, he definitively felt that Therese, St. Therese of the Child Jesus, chose him. And that choice and the littleness and the simplicity of which her life, because he read Story of a Soul, countless times. And he was very clear 
that she was sort of his spiritual companion, a spiritual mother um, that would accompany him in all of his decisions. He would go to her for all of his worries and financial struggles and, and, and difficulties. So Father Al was rooted and chosen by Our Lady, had the saints to accompany him. He read the lives of the saints, but then he was a deeply Eucharistic man. You can tell that in the prayer he wrote about sort of being the host that is broken, ground. Schwartz just really saw himself as the phrase, this is my body. That was his identification as a priest. This is my body given for you. And for, the, for you was the, pre, was, excuse me, was the poor. He wanted to be broken because he was already blessed by Our Lady and Therese. Now he was broken and given. It's powerful. Schwartz was just anointed. Right. So that desire to be, as we've said before, Jesus Christ broken on the cross, humiliated, starved on the cross, yeah. for him to really desire that for that brokenness to give of, of himself to the poor, he understood that without intense prayer, that his his priesthood would be fallow. It would be fruitless. So, so I'll bring it to you, Father, um, as a priest who's now in the, in the thick of it down there, what is it like without prayer? I mean, I would think that it would be the, the lifeblood to everything you do. Well, that's a great question. On, on one level, on a natural level, I'm not building like Father Al. Father Al was building in multi-places and, and, you know, he just was a brilliant man. So on that level, he was maintaining hospitals and and, and working with sisters and forming the sisters and writing books. Like he, he was multitasking. On the other level, he was hearing 150 confessions a day. He wrote about that. That, that, that was really what kept him going. I, I don't know because I can see in my own life the burden of the weight of the children. Um, thank God for the grace of the sacrament of confession. And thank God for the, the ability not to remember. But I can certainly say that after a long day of confessions and that I don't count the number. It's just usually hour based because it's too complicated. I can walk out of there and feel, you know, I've gone about 10 rounds with the boxer because it's a physical grueling thing. You know, it's, we, we read about Vienni, St. John Vienni. And it's like, wow, he ate a potato and, you know, it was sat in the confessional for 14 hours. Look, it's romantic. You know, I'm plugging in there and I can't hit 14. I mean, I'm there six, eight, nine. And I'm coming out, I'm like, I'm dragging. I'm coming out of the tomb like Lazarus. <laughs> and, you know, Schwartz was doing that and then coming out and probably going to a board meeting where he's signing a, a contract to put up a building. I, I, I find it unfathomable. I find it mysterious. I find it totally anointed. So, but he was clear in his writings. I'm not a builder. I'm I'm an I'm a instrument for the salvation of the souls. But everyone thought he was just a builder. And his father, I would say, no, no, no. I'm not a hospital administrator. All that we do is solely meant only to save souls. Only. It was beautiful. That was it. That was the whole game for him. It and when I when I think about and when I've read about him, when he speaks of prayer, I was reading um Father Respond this. He talks about two types of prayer. And I think you're you're in the you're you're really in the thick of, of what he says here. He says, <laughs> Jesus practiced these two types of prayer. High intensity prayer, where he is totally concentrated and focused on the Father. We see this in the desert where he begins his public life. And then when he goes to the mountain 
And at dawn, when he goes to pray in the garden at Gethsemane, he blocks out everything except his father. The second, Jesus practiced low-intensity prayer. That's when he's walking. That's when he's working at Nazareth. That's when he's teaching. He's healing. He's distributing the loaves and the fishes. He's at the wedding feast, but there's always this consciousness of the loving presence of his father. It's almost like this current of love that's always was within him. Yeah, well, Father Al would go definitely to the Eucharist to be rejuvenated. It was, it was evident, you know, even in his form formation, and I, I don't know what the formation was like in Louvain, but I can certainly say he came out as a deeply Eucharistic man. He came out as what I would identify, at least in my, my experience, as a St. Saint, Saint John Paul priest, a, a priest that experienced the Eucharistic Marian missionary aspect, which is sort of the formation I had. And I think Father Al had that, but he had it many years prior, and it had to be honed and purified and actually protected, probably, because things were a different time back then in the church. So, yeah, Father Al was rooted in the Eucharist. Even the sisters are now. You know, I, I have adoration all over the place at this built here. When I was in Boys Town, I was doing it in two different buildings. The sisters have adoration in the mornings. So they're a deeply Eucharistic community, which is powerful. I mean, there's nothing cooler than having a three foot monstrance and you got, you know, 300 kids in front of it singing or praying the rosary or staring at Jesus. You know, it's powerful. I'm sure it is. Well, of course it is, Father. I've seen the photographs and the videos. It, it's uh, it really is. Some of it's breathtaking. It, so I, I think about Father Al and, and Father, I think about you and really all priests. Um, so three prayers, the mass, the office and the rosary. Father Al took those three, and actually, let's let's put the office first. Father Al knew if he prayed the office well, prayed it reverently, loved the office, that it would sort of set up his ability to, to, to celebrate a liturgically beautiful Mass. And that's hard for him to do and you to do, Father, because you're celebrating every day, sometimes as many as three Masses a day. And it's hard to celebrate a liturgically beautiful Mass when you're hopscotching around to different buildings, different chapels. So I imagine that the office and that rosary and, and, and uh, your communication with God or, or Mary through the decades of the rosary, it helps to, uh, to set up that mass for you. Yeah, so the office and the rosary would feed Father Al, and then he would bring that to the mass. I mean, you can see that even when he was immobile <clears throat> uh, and he was celebrating mass, you know, the sisters vested him. He had this microphone in front of him and they would adjust the microphone to him because there was no other option. He would receive their final vows and there's Father El completely mobile. It's a powerful witness. You have the active moment of the sisters going into the world and the contemplative moment of this priest behind the altar saying, this is my body given for you. Now go sisters and give the body of Christ to the children, to the poor, to, the, to whatever. That was the mission of Father Al. It flowed from the tabernacle behind him because the tabernacle was always in the center of the chapel with the sisters, flowed through his priesthood to the altar, into these little sisters, all various shapes and sizes, and they would go out into the world and say, this is my body, Christ. And they would offer their vows. It's powerful. Beautiful, Father. Let's go back to what you said a minute ago in that wheelchair, adjusting the microphone uh, did he feel like Jesus on the cross crucified in that wheelchair? Well, Father Al writes really clearly, you know, he's always quoting St. Paul. It's no, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I think Father Al 
because of his intense desire to imitate Christ, intense, like he just wanted to do whatever, whatever Christ did, he wanted to do, and he believed that, that Christ gave him the grace to die in the very similar manner. Christ on a cross, Father Al on the wheelchair, both immobile and both suffocating, in effect, um, to the point where they couldn't speak. And Father Al would even hear confessions, but he couldn't speak. So yes, I think that it was always imitating Christ physically, spiritually, emotionally. Right. Uh, very good, Father. I, I do know that in his last dying breath, when he was sort of whispering out commands to the sisters, back to the theme of the podcast, prayer. It's funny, as he was dying, um, two things happened. He was crying out, actually three things. He was crying out to Mary. Mary, I love you. Um, Mary, be with me now. I'm suffering like your son. He was also asking the sisters to read to him the story of the soul for the 5,000th time. Read to me from my, from my, from the little flower. I want to hear again. And thirdly, and this is the, this is the one that sticks out that I love. So he's drawing from the blessed mother. He's drawing from Teresa Lisieux. And then he says, Oh, sisters, hold on. Hold on. I, I still got a heartbeat here. Three hours a day. If you're going to do this work and I'm going to kick it in about a day or two, three hours a day, you must pray. And this is, this is what, what do you, what do you say? Father, what do you say? Pray three hours a day after I leave. How, how remarkable is that? He's thinking forward to what the sisters needed. Yeah. I, I find that powerful that he would, that would be his, his mission. That's how they would stay rooted and grow. And also, don't forget, they wheeled him into the into the chapel and left him because that's what they would do. So he'd pray. I mean, I can only imagine if I were one of those sisters like, hey, be good or I won't pick you up for another for another 10 <laughs> hours. Right. But whatever. Father Al loved it. They put him in front of the Blessed Sacrament and he was good. Totally immobile. Christ that's immobile it. in the monstrance, Father Al immobile in the chair. And it's this communion of love. It, it's so easy to envision. And, and Father, it's a, it's a paradox with the Sisters of Mary. It's because they, they're Marthas, right? They're just, they're always working. They're running around. They're always working. But Father Al knew, again, back to the three hours of prayer, he knew that Martha couldn't quite do the work the way Christ would intend or Father Al would intend if they didn't put those three hours of Mary prayer into it. So, so they were the Marthas of the world, just bringing kids in and saving souls and helping the orphans. But they had to pray. So he was always going after, you must spend time intimately with Christ. Yeah, he, he definitely defined what their spiritual life could be by the fifth vow. Poverty, chastity, obedience, service, which are common. But then the fifth vow, of course, is the prayer, uh, five, uh, three hours of prayer a day. And that's the vow that is the game changer that he said animated all the other vows. So his Eucharistic love, his Marian love, his love of the saints now flows into the sisters and actually through the sisters to the children. One spiritual father passes this down to his, to the daughters who pass it down to the children. Right, right, Father. I, you know, you, you think about Father Al, and, I, and I'll, I'll bleed this into sort of what, what you might suggest for the folks watching the, this week's podcast is, so Father Al had to conquer himself so he could conquer prayer. And he knew if he could conquer prayer and sort of, as, as Christ once did, 
um, that he could conquer helping the poor. He could conquer sort of everything out there that was that was just devastated, uh, the dying. He could bring them in because he had conquered his reluctance to pray or laziness or sloth or whatever. He said, no, this I must do every single day because of the work involved. I, I think, Father, that I'm guilty of this oftentimes is, is I simply don't want to pray at, at times, but I need to conquer myself. So so for the so for the listener, the viewer, what would you have to say to them that that maybe they're just, uh, you know what, I'm, I want to check out today or even this week. I just not in the mood to pray. Well, you know, we're, we're facing a crisis now, I think, in the church because there's this spiritual sort of um, lukewarmness or laziness. <clears throat> Um, the word they used down here is tibia, which is just sort of a heaviness that's crippling the church. And people are not sort of unzipping themselves from it because they're kind of caught in this smoke suit, so to speak. And unless people pray and go into the trench, they're not going to accomplish. They're just going to kind of go, but it'll be circular and they will not be linear. And so I advise the folks stay rooted in a regular time of prayer. Do not break that routine. Second, use the times that are available for spiritual development. You must do some spiritual reading and have a devotion to Our Lady. I know it's hard to keep the rosary going, but when you're in the car or when you're by yourself, a decade of the rosary, put five decades together and that's the rosary, You've done the full lap, so to speak. And the third thing, or the fourth thing I would say is you have to remain Eucharistic. Stopping by the church. If you can't go into the church because it's locked, pray in the car outside the church. You can easily do that. Jesus is, goes beyond the wall. And go in there with a church parking lot, bring your wife, bring your kids, or go walk around the church for 10, 15 minutes and just absorb the grace of the holy ground that is in the parish. And I think, you know, we have, to, we have to choose to be animated. That's the word of the kids. You have to choose to want life. And we can't just be just sort of stuck in the mundane. Folks, you got to break out of it. You have to make the choice. Christ is coming. He is with us. He's coming. He rises and he's with us. And so we have to choose to be alive. Very good, Father. That was that was beautiful. That was excellent. But before we let you go, I know you have a lot more work to do later on today. I, I, another homily was sent my way. So a few days ago was the anniversary of Father Al's death. He died 19 years ago, March 16th. It's a big feast day around the world. And, and a homily was sent up to me about where you spoke of, it was actually very beautiful. You spoke of Father Al and compared him to St. Gianna Muller. Can you, can you tell the listeners what you told this big auditorium or the big church of, of a filled with children, how they're connected? Yeah, well, Gianna Muller was a, a doctor who had, was diagnosed with cancer. And it was presented to her that the baby, she was pregnant, that the baby that she had, she had to either choose a form of chemo or operation or some medical activity that would potentially uh, kill the child. And so she chose not to do as such. And in effect, she gave birth to the child, but subsequently died. And she's now a canonized saint for that sacrificial reality. I was explaining to the kids, thank God for Father Al's suffering because of the things that have happened after his death. His death his, excuse me, his suffering brought his death. His death then was the grace, was the seed for this program to expand, to draw on many, many, many children. You know, Kevin, many of the children arrived here in the first year. They took in about 800, 800 little girls here. Gosh, 
I think I got 500 baptisms to do by the end of their, by the end of their baptismal preparation. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about this sacramental reality that these little guys and gals are going to grow up in the sacramental grace that might not have happened uh, if the program didn't exist. So absolutely no question what Father Al was all about. His prayer life would produce the sacramental life in the children. And I think and then the kids will go on for first communion and for obviously first confessions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a gigantic movement of grace down here that is rooted in authentic teaching of the church. Yeah, well, that circles back to where you started. It, it's it's miraculous. It, it is of God. It's God's finger touching down. His suffering, man. Thank God for his suffering. I, it, You know, he wanted it because he knew it produced saints. Um, amen. So, so Father, um, a, a few things before we sign off. So next week, we're going to be speaking about the great saints that Father Al loved and how he was impacted by them. So, folks, if, if there's something that in... in in the future that you would like Father Dan and I to discuss in the podcast, please enter it down in the comments line. Father Al and I would like to know, or Father Dan and I would like to know what your thoughts are. So just uh, maybe after viewing this podcast, uh, first of all, subscribe if you're not subscribed, but also uh, give a comment because we, we want to hear from you guys what you want. We have a lot of things we want to talk about, but we also want to hear what, what you want to talk about. Uh, secondly, again, tonight, five o'clock Eastern time, they might be saints if you have not seen the documentary on Venerable Al, many thousands have, and in uh, I don't want to say it's consensus, but man, it, it's it's really well liked. I keep hearing ten out of tens, Father. So, um, with that said, anything you want to pass on? No, I, I think it's great. Good work. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to say to the folks, look, if this is effective for you, if this is helpful, I'd love to hear. Uh, you know, I got a packed schedule, but I do believe that this life of Father Al is 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 great. If you want us to continue, I mean, Kevin, you know, I mentioned to Kevin, I'll be traveling pretty soon to Guatemala, Honduras, starting after Easter, going hard. But if you wanted this to continue, I can take this, this show on the road, so to speak, and continue to Pentecost. And just to kind of share the life of Father Al and the resurrection and the mission of the church that he sees with the kids. Really, that's the teaching. It wasn't just to heal them and to feed them for five years. They are going to build up the church, which is Pentecost. Happy to help, whatever you like. Thanks for your generosity, Father. Why don't you lead us out with a prayer or a blessing? And may the Lord bless you, protect you, give you peace, and the Holy Spirit come upon you. And the Lord fire you with love for the Holy Spirit as we enter this, continue through this time of Lent, fill you with peace. May Almighty God bless you, folks. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. God bless Bye -bye. you, folks.